Hi everyone, um, my name is Joe. if I haven't met you before, um, and I have the pleasure of reading the Bible for us this evening. Uh, we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, so I'll just give you a moment to find that. Um, it'll also be up on the screen. So Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Uh, before I start our sermon tonight, sorry if you're confused that now we're having a second sermon, but anyway, that's okay. Uh, um, just want to make a comment on Slido. We're loving using Slido, and it's been really helpful for curating questions and giving people the opportunity to... Uh, ask questions and for us to engage together. I uh, just noticed last week that people started arguing against each other on Slido. Uh, less than helpful, so perhaps let's not do that. Uh, so two things. Number one, it'd be really helpful if you ask a question and then jump back into the passage and the sermon, keep engaging with what's going on. And secondly, I think it actually would be super helpful uh, for people where you feel safe and okay to use your name uh, on Slido. I know that anonymity is sort of treasured uh, in these sorts of spaces, but it's actually helpful uh, for us as preachers if someone asks a particular question as a just pastoral exercise in following up with you, uh, checking in. Sometimes there is sort of a question behind a question. So it's not compulsory. Feel free to not use your name, uh, but we want to encourage you to consider doing that. It's helpful for us to know uh, who's asking a question and to be able to follow up and care for you uh, in our question asking as well. Is that all good? Thank you. That's great. One person said okay. 200 people 
are frowning. And I can't tell, so I'm going to keep smiling. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, We praise and thank you for the majesty of Christ. And we pray that tonight uh, we would see Christ more clearly and that we would know who we are in your world for your praise and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you know, this is the big question for tonight, how do you know if you are blessed by God? How do you know if you are in God's favor, if you are worthy of God's welcome, if you're going to rock up to God's house, knock on the door, and God's going to say, hey, or no? How do you know if you are blessed by God? I paused for a moment in the last week and started pondering this question. I began with the way that often as Christians we speak to each other and we'll even use the phrase to each other when things happen in our lives. What a blessing! Or you know, sometimes I notice on Instagram statuses people will put something up or in Instagram comments people will hashtag blessed. And I'm thinking, yes, that's right. And it's exactly what happens when good things happen. You know, something great happens to someone, what a blessing. Someone gets you know, a good experience, what a blessing. Someone has an answered prayer, what a blessing. So that if you get a new job, there's a blessing. If you get you know, a new car, there's a blessing. If you lose your job and ding your car on the way home from work, not such a blessing. And I sort of started pondering that, and it all seemed a little bit materialistic and fleeting, as if sort of somehow we would know that God blesses us when good stuff is happening to us. And what was interesting was that the Bible actually said to me that I'm still blessed when I suffer and almost die for being a Christian. And that's really different to getting a new car. So I sort of left that aside. I decided I'd Google it. So I Googled, how do I know I'm blessed by God? And thanks be to someone, Laurie Stockhill popped up on the screen. And Laurie told me there are five signs. Uh, Larry told me there's five signs that I'm blessed by God and that I have God's favor. Number one, that my children serve the Lord. That's working well tonight. Number two, the finances that I have are simple. Number three, my relationships are all healthy. Number four, that my emotions are Stable. Okay, number five, my purpose is clear. And if I get all those five things in a coherent sort of funnel, then I can actually be a channel of blessing to you as well. And I want to apologize tonight that unfortunately the nominators did not get me to tick those five boxes and that unfortunately I'm not a channel of blessing to you. Uh, Somehow again, as I listened to Larry, that all seemed a little bit incoherent and hodgepodge. So surprisingly then, I opened the Bible. And I came to the scriptures, I came to Galatians, I came to Galatians chapter 3, and I'm looking for the answer to the question, and there it is in verse 9. I discovered who is blessed by God, who is in God's favor, who God speaks a good word about, who God is going to welcome into his home, who God is bestowing goodness upon. And what verse 9 tells us is that it is certain people. Before we dig into verse 9, I actually want to go somewhere else. I want us to see what else Paul says in this passage because Paul's going to say there's two lots of people who are not blessed by God. There are two lots of people here who God is not going to welcome with a good word. Two groups of people that Paul wants to warn that they're walking the wrong path. And the first group is the Galatian church the foolish Galatians. Uh, Let's dig in, chapter 3, verse 1. 
Uh, Have a look with me. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, now this is on the back of what we looked at last week, where Paul was providing that solid defense of the authenticity and credibility of the gospel he preached over against these troublemakers who'd arrived in the region of Galatia and were going around encouraging people to think and see and know and obey the works of the law. They were going around saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's a good start, but you've got to do all these Jewish things or God is not going to love you. You've got to get circumcised and follow the law and all these other things, and then hopefully God might start loving you. And Paul came back at that and he said last week, no, the gospel I preach came from Jesus. The gospel I preach is centered on Jesus. The gospel I preach proclaims Jesus. He said, the gospel I preach has captured me so that now I live for Jesus. He said, it is all about Jesus all the time. And if you thought that Paul had fired up last week, well, this week he smashes into the, into the Galatians like a bulldozer into the last single-story fibro house in St. Ives. He is angry, and worthily so. He labels them as fools in verse 1 and 3. He says they are deniers of the Spirit of God in verse 2 and 3. He says they ignore the miraculous power of God in verse 5. But back in verse 1, he uses the word bewitched. Paul is saying here, it's like someone has cast a spell on you. Like Tinkerbell or something has come along and gone, and you've completely lost the plot. You're hypnotized. You've become irrational. You're out of touch with reality. Paul is saying you are mentally drunk if this is what you think the gospel is. If this is what you think Jesus wants you to believe and do. Why such strong language? Well, look at verse 1. Paul says, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul's preaching put Jesus in front of their faces in no uncertain terms. They saw Jesus. They engaged with Jesus. They responded to Jesus. They rejoiced in Jesus. And now they've been bewitched by a gospel that is no gospel at all by a message that will not save them, by a message that is only confusing them and anyone else who will listen to that. It's clear, Paul says, there is no blessing to be found in trying to achieve your salvation through a gospel that is Jesus plus something else. And to think it is foolish. Now, now there's something beautiful here that I want to steal from John Piper. And I read this this week. He says, When you are mocked and derided for your faith, don't ever forget that it's the people who don't see value in Jesus alone. That it's the people who don't see that Christ is of ultimate value. It's people who see Christ as a nothing. It's those people or in a dream world. It's those people who are bewitched. It's the people who see Christ as of no value who are fools in the world. They're the ones in the midst of a fairy tale. No, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, 
the resurrection of Christ, uh, these are historical facts. And not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is just a foolishness. And the most seriously bewitched people are those who don't believe in God at all. For the Lord Jesus Christ has come to bring life eternal. And because Christ is real, his followers are no fools in the world. Indeed, those who follow Christ are on the right side of reality and history and the future. Well, Paul's trying to get the Galatians to wake up to this reality. And so he's going to call on their experience of having become Christians in the next little section, verses 2 to 5, and get them to reflect on that experience using a couple of duplets of questions. Verse 2 and 3, I think, go together, and verse 4 and 5 go together. So first of all, verse 2 and 3. Look what Paul says. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you, which I think is quite cute because Paul's been teaching them lots of things, and now he's saying, you you teach me. Just, Just remind me how this played out. You can imagine Paul just sort of, you know, being quite upset. He says to them, verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? See, Paul's focus here is the Spirit of God. And as with all of these questions, his prime concern is what triggered the arrival of the Spirit of God in you and with you? What triggered your receiving of the Spirit of God? Uh, He says in verse 2, was it by the works of the law or was it by obeying the Judaizers and their commands or was it by faith? Now, now again, I want to just pause here and, and make a comment on the Spirit because I think it's important that we just note the way that Paul effortlessly underlines the reality that the Spirit of God comes upon a Christian at the moment they believe. Uh, There are only two options for when the Spirit of God might come. He might come, Paul says, by law or by faith. And and verse 3 very clearly says the answer, it is by faith. At the very moment that you come to faith, the moment you trust in Christ, the Spirit of God is upon you, uniting you with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I raise this tonight to show again in the Scriptures that the Spirit of God does not come at some later point. It's not like when you actually trust in Christ and repent and turn to Christ for the first time that God says, good job, but there's more to do. Just hang around. There's going to be some you know, magical something happen to you in a little while when you do these things or that, that in a little while you get authentically Christian when the Spirit finally comes upon you. No, the Scriptures are clear. And the Spirit of God indwells you the very moment you turn to Christ. Now, this is important because the Jews here say it's Jesus plus the law and then you'll be saved. And some Christians would say it's Jesus, but you need some further blessing of the Spirit. And when you get that second blessing of the Spirit, well, then you can truly know that you're saved. And both are just foolish distortions. Now, that's not to say that the Galatians didn't have some tangible experience of the Spirit's power. Indeed, it looks like that may well have happened. But it is to say that the Scriptures nowhere indicate that we should expect the same, to see miracles or have some tangible experience of the Spirit's power, that that is an expectation of being 
a Christian. But that it happened for the Galatians was a marker of their turning to Christ. And Paul uses that here to underline their foolishness. And so again, verse 3, Paul says to them, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Essentially, he's saying, can your efforts in obedience really add to the almighty work of the Spirit in you? Is there some work of God that needed to be added to? Did God do a substandard job that, that you needed to do other things to sort of earn your salvation? The answer is, of course, no. And if you continue in this path, there will be no blessing for you. And so then he continues with a second little duplet, verse 4. He asks, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? This time, specifically drawing on the experiences they've had, the experiences of the spirit among them, he's saying, is that the trigger for God's work when you when you did works of the law or was it when you trusted in christ have you taken control and and through your own effort now unleashed the power of god in you and his questions anticipate a response of absolutely not no it was always by faith and so then he concludes in verse six in this thought-provoking way he says in verse six so also abraham he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that might strike you as a strange moment to sort of invoke the name of Abraham at this point, but it's a critical moment. Now, perhaps the Judaizers were using Abraham as an illustration of their point. We don't know, but what we do know is that to the Jews, Abraham is a hero, one of the great figureheads of the faith. But Paul is saying here, now, now you may call him one of your heroes and figureheads of the faith, but in actual fact, Abraham is an argument for me. Because before the law was given, based only on the promise of God, based only on the word of God, based only on saving acts of God, based only on the call of God, before there was even a thing called the law, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Before there was any law, God received him and saved Abraham, redeemed Abraham and welcomed him into the household of God. And so last week, if I said that Paul served an ace on match point, it's almost like verse 6 is Paul serving an ace on championship point. You foolish Galatians, even Abraham, even your hero, he is saved by faith. So what are you doing there is no blessing to be found among the foolish galatians who've bought the lie that works save now as we travel our way through galatians there there is a little danger that i'm aware of that we can be reading the book of galatians and almost stand back from it as of being historical interest oh how fascinating Look what those fools did there in Turkey 2,000 years ago. And sort of stand back from Paul's point and not think that this is for us. I just want to warn us 
that it has been fascinating to me over time that as I've seen people and even as I've seen the tendency in my own heart to start to believe that there are good things that we can do that might in some way just earn God's favour for me, that, that my piety in prayer, I prayed for an hour today and God will be so, pl- I am going to be so saved because I prayed for that hour and he was amazing and God needed my prayers. Amazing how we can sneakily bring these ideas back into the way we relate with God. So I want to say thanks to Paul for not leaving this as a localised historical issue, but in verse 10, speaking directly to us and warning us as those who may behave in the same way as the Galatians. Warning us, do not rely on your works, for even worse, you may end up under a curse. I have a look at verse 10. Paul writes, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. He's saying, if you start with the law, if you start dabbling in some belief that, that your little efforts are helping, that your little works are helping, that, that you're getting closer and closer to heaven, and that you have greater and greater assurance by all of your little works, that it's, it's becoming more and more true that God will let you into heaven, oh, you must be perfect and obey every law forever. That's the only pathway that you can choose. You can have a hybrid car, but you cannot have a hybrid faith. You cannot rely on Jesus and something else. You cannot claim Jesus and something else. You cannot put your trust in anything but Jesus if you want to be justified before God, if you want to stand before God and be just as if you had never sinned. You just need to rely on Jesus. And anyone who does anything else is proclaiming that the cross and what God did at the cross was substandard. What God did at the cross was defective and shoddy and inadequate. Uh, Those who want to rely on their works are saying, God did not do enough. He made a mistake. He was too weak. He was unable. That God left things undone for me to do because I'm so powerful. And such people, Paul says, are under a curse. But thanks be to God that indeed at the cross, Jesus lifts that curse and places it on his shoulders that we might not have to die under it. I'm not going to dig too far into verse 12 to 14 because I want to leave you some room to work over things in your growth groups. But to say that Paul's point is just this. There's a great exchange on in Christ, and it is glorious. And cursed you may be, but recognize that Jesus was cursed for you. That cursed Jesus became for you, so that you might be saved. So friends, if not the Galatians... And if not anyone who tries to sneakily sneak some works or good efforts into being saved, 
who then can be counted as blessed? How do we know that we are blessed by God? How do we know we are in God's favor? How do we know that God would speak of us with a good word, with a welcome into his kingdom? How do we know that, that God is indeed for us? And how do we get a piece of that? Well, the answer is just in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9, where Paul says, So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Friends, this is stunning in its simplicity. But can I say, if this doesn't actually stop you in your tracks, if this doesn't in some sense choke you up, and bring a river of thankfulness flowing down your brow, then, then just perhaps, just perhaps, you've allowed the glory of what Jesus has done for you by faith to be drowned out by a world that glitters with fake gold. Now, those who rely on faith are those who receive from God's hand favor. Those who rely on faith are those who well, are welcome into God's home, who have all the riches of Christ in the heavenly realms. In Galatians 3 terms, it's only those who rely on faith who receive the Spirit of God, who are made righteous by Christ, who are justified, who avoid the curse, who are redeemed, who are children of Abraham. It's only people who rely on faith who can actually sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. We could all sing it, but you can't. So let's all praise the Lord, right arm, Father. We won't keep going. But that's what that song was about, right? So many of us sung when we were younger and even in senior high tonight. This is what the song is about. About saying that I stand with Christ by faith and that I am indeed blessed with the blessing that God gave Abraham. But here's the thing. The wrath of God that is relentlessly directed at sinners is not directed at those who rely on Christ by faith. And the power of death that ambitiously awaits sinners has no hope of consuming those who rely on Christ by faith. That the fiery lake of burning sulfur that inherits sinners will not taste any person who relies on Christ by faith. And that is blessing. And to walk this earth with confidence and assurance that the God of the universe loves you and has prepared a place for you to dwell with him forever. That's blessing. Now, to know that all that you deserve has been taken by Christ on his shoulders because you have come and trusted in him, that is blessing. All that was warranted from the hand of God because of your life and your previous attitude towards him has been received by Christ instead of you because you rely on him by faith. That is blessing. And I don't know of any cultural or intellectual or technological change over the past 2,000 years that makes this any different today than it was for the Galatians. I don't know of anything you may acquire, of anything you may experience of any emotion you may have that makes 
this blessing any less than it was in that day for the Galatians. Indeed, friends, this and this alone, trusting Christ, takes away the fear of meeting an infinitely holy God loaded up with your sin. In Christ's death, by faith, we are acquitted and redeemed and substituted for and saved, and that is blessing. And people who see it flee the delusion of works, flee the delusion of their own efforts. People who see it have no regard for a world that glitters with gold. And oh, there is much to delight of in the world. But as we come towards the end, friends, please remember this. In the ultimate sense of the word, he is not blessed who leaves this building and gets into his Tesla with his girlfriend. He is, she is not blessed who's wearing a $400 piece of clothing to church tonight. Uh, he is not blessed who received a $15,000 pay rise this week. She is not blessed who has 80 people working for her and all the power that she can muster in some massive job. He is not blessed who is gifted with the voice of angels. She is not blessed who has muscles upon muscles upon muscles. Uh, the one is not blessed who has obedient children, although that's handy sometimes. These are not the things that we aspire to. These are not the things that we look to to know God's blessing. These are not the things that we look to to assure ourselves of value in the eyes of God. These are not markers of God's favor and they're not markers of God's blessing upon you. Don't be fooled. Don't place your confidence in things that perish. And don't place your confidence in God because you think he has blessed you with lots of things that perish. But to know Christ and to be known by Christ, in that, there's blessing. And that's why the New Testament says that even those who suffer great loss and end up with nothing, even those who come under great persecution and end up with no one, even those who are taken to the point of death or even killed for their faith, even them, they are more blessed than the man with the Tesla. Because the true sign of blessing is to know Jesus and to know that you'll receive an inheritance from him, not to know Jesus and to have a happy life and lots of stuff that's going to rust and fade away. So let us aspire only to rely upon Christ by faith and know that our value is found in union with Christ and true value is not found in the things of the world. Friends, this is a word to the doubter. If that's you as you've walked in here tonight or you're watching I want you to know that all that glitters in the world is going to fade. But Jesus and his promise will never spoil or fade. Rely on Jesus. 
trust in him no matter what and hang loose to stuff. It's fun, but it's no sign of blessing. It's actually more dangerous than you might think. This is also a word to the worried. For all that causes anxiety now, it will pass and Christ will be all in all. If you're one who bears great worry about how things are going to plan out in the world, just cling to Christ. Rely on him. He's got you. Do not be anxious, but cast your worries upon him. This is also a word to the arrogant. Perhaps there's some who've come in tonight and are sort of like, I don't even need Jesus. Why do I have to listen to this? This is a word that says, please make sure you celebrate yourself long and hard in this world. Celebrate your self-made pleasures and may every one of your self-made pleasures clap you all the way to the moment that you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ when you will realize that every one of those things is worthless at that point and should never have been your treasure. Now is the moment you have a chance not to stand before the Lord with nothing but your sin, but to stand before the Lord, clinging to Christ. You want to be blessed? Rely on Christ by faith. And friends, this is a word to those who want to know how to do life right in the world. You want to know how to do life right? You want to be sure that you've got things under control? You want to be sure that you're on the right trajectory? Here is the word. Rely on Christ. He's got you for now. He's got you for then. And he's got you for later. Don't compare yourself and what you have to the world around you. If you trust in Jesus, you have something worth more than all the gold in the world. And as you trust in Jesus, there you find blessing. Let me finish with some words from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, from verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love Jesus. And even though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in Jesus and are filled with an inexpressible And glorious joy, for you are receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How about we pray? Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have drawn us into relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, who at the cross bore the curse that was ours upon his shoulders that we might be saved. Lord God, we pray that we would not be those who cast aside Christ for the things of the world, that we would not be those who cast aside Christ for our own efforts and works, but that every day, in every way, we might rely and trust in Jesus. We ask that you would be with us and sustain us, Lord, in your mighty name. Amen.
Alrighty, guys, it is time for some questions. So if you want to grab your phone out and pop on a Slido, you can add a question or like a question. Um, but By the way, I, I feel like I'm just at home now. <laughs> anyway, that's fun. We regularly have debates. It's great. Alrighty, so the first question, you have sandwiched your sermon talking about how blessings are not material things and we um, don't count on calling ourselves blessed by God through um, what we have tangibly. Mm. Um, so is it kind of wrong to use the language of God has blessed me about good things that are material? And this person has given some verse references, so I'll just read some of them out. So Romans fifteen twenty seven says from halfway through, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. And then also 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that it had been clearly in the scriptures you see it happen. I don't think it's wrong, but I do think that it is unhelpful that that becomes our focus. And I think that's perhaps what has happened in Christian culture in the West that, that we would say we are blessed by God uh, because of good things that happen and actually have stopped or have n- not remembered what I hope is the big thing you took away from Zion, that actually ultimately we're blessed by God because by faith we find ourselves saved and we avoid the wrath of God because of what Christ has done for us at the cross. And so we start measuring God's goodness to us in accordance with those good things. So I, I think I would just say just be cautious of your language and cautious of what you're saying. Uh, I, um, I've had the privilege of being uh, overseas and meeting Christians from all different places uh, across the world, and uh, Christians who, who literally just live hand to mouth. They earn some money for food, they take that food home, and they eat it in South Africa, uh, in Kenya, in uh, Israel, and in other places. And it's remarkable that they would say uh, that they are enormously blessed by God. <laughs> And, and I think that if we had someone here who just every day they only earned the food they could eat that night, we would say, wow, that's really bad. And so I think that there's something in that for us, is we actually need to exalt as ultimately uh, what uh, Galatians 3 verse 9 says. That is the person who relies on faith who is actually blessed. That's the one who God's hand of favor is upon. Uh, that's the one who God is welcoming into his kingdom And all these other signs of bits and pieces that happen in the world are things we can be very thankful for, whether it be positive or negative, as God uses those circumstances for our good. But let us not think that God is just the one like an ATM that just keeps spitting out cash and that that is what the blessing of God is. So I would just counsel you to think this week about how you use that language and whether or not we need to be a little countercultural with that blessing language. Yeah, I think that's yeah. super helpful because we don't want to be questioning, obviously, God's goodness, but also our own faith if we're completely in with him. Yeah. Super helpful. Um, so this question came up a few times in Slido um, in terms of the Galatians, but also us. So if the spirit on God comes on people when they believe, does the spirit leave them when they stop believing or did that person actually never believe? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, in the scriptures, there are a couple of points, uh, or one particularly I can think of in the Old Testament, where the Spirit of God is upon Saul and then leaves Saul, uh, King Saul. And, and, and so that, that's quite a dramatic sort of moment. But uh, we've got to remember that when we see that happening, 
that, that, moment, that moment in time in the history of God's world that the Spirit of God was placed upon people for specific purposes. And he had the Spirit of God in him that he might serve as God's king. And when God removed the kingship from him, so the Spirit left him as well. We turn to the New Testament uh, and uh, I, I, although it doesn't mention the Spirit of God, we know that the Spirit of God uh, comes uh, upon us as we believe. And we know that from 1 Corinthians and other places. Um, but I, I, when I ponder this question, I come back to John uh, chapter 10. And John chapter 10 from verse 26 uh, says, uh, says this. His disciples say, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I did tell you. But you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testified about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Uh, Once you are saved uh, and you have the Spirit of God, God is never going to let you go. If someone looks as though they're saved and then rejects God and wanders off, I always think a couple of things. Number one, perhaps, perhaps it was that they weren't saved, but I can't know that. Perhaps it is that in actual fact God has, has sent them into the wilderness and that they will come back to Christ and the Spirit of God is still in them, but they are frustrating and not keeping in step with the Spirit at that point in their life. Uh, but the scriptures don't really address this question, but we can be confident that once the Spirit is in you, the Spirit will be in you and God's got you and he will not let you out of his hand. So as a matter of assurance, as you keep trusting Christ, obeying his word, as he says in John chapter 10, you can be certain the Spirit is in you and you are walking with Christ uh, by faith. And you need not fear. You need not fear that the Spirit of God is going to somehow abandon you against your will, that God's going to go, ha, ha, and take the Spirit away. As you continue to trust Christ and walk with Christ, then you will find the Spirit of God in you, and at the last, you'll be found in eternity. Yeah. Great, super helpful. All right, this question has stumped me, so um, with all my theological knowledge. So I am keen to hear what you have to say. I feel like my, one of my key takeaways is that we are saved not by what we do, but by Jesus. Um, and that we are, yeah, blessed through him. Um, so how can you consolidate that with James 2.24, which says, you see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It is a really great moment just to announce that we're excising James from the Bible. Uh, <laughs> no, however, uh, historical little fact, uh, there are several significant uh, ancient uh, authors, uh, people like, I think, Luther, who actually came to James and just thought, forget it, and would, be, would have been quite glad to have James excised from the Bible uh, because it contained mistakes. Uh, but I think actually, open up to James chapter 2, and let's just quickly do a 30-second Bible study on James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Because uh, I, think, I think it's actually James chapter 2 uh, is saying exactly what Paul is saying. They are not in contradiction at all. So James chapter 2, from verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, and here I think is the crucial exegetical moment for us to understand 
are what James is on about, right? So it's there in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone... What's the next word? Three people away. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, right? There, there it is. Someone's saying, I have faith. I'm a believer. I'm in. I'm definitely a believer. They're claiming that themselves. But they claim to have faith, but no deeds. Does such faith save? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed. Well, that's a nonsense, isn't it? Someone's without food and you're just saying unkind words, demonstrating no love or care for that person. It goes on, does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, once you are saved, you're a Christian by faith, you've trusted in Christ, shall we just go on sinning so that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. You died to sin, don't live in it any longer. Live for Christ. Clothe yourselves with Christ. You know, in, the, in the passage last week in Galatians chapter 2, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. My life is transformed by the work of the Spirit in me. And we're going to see this when we get to the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that's exactly what James is saying here. So verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds. That's dumb. And I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You'll see that I'm a real believer because I'm transformed by the work of God. The fruits of the Spirit are bearing fruit within me. Uh, you believe there's one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder, but you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Just some academic belief, just some assent to things without actually the transformation of the work of God in your life? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, Abraham didn't just say, I trust God, he trusted God at the very most difficult moment of his life when God said, take your son and sacrifice him on the altar. So verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith was fulfilled by what he did. It was demonstrated by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So again, same scripture that Paul quoted in Galatians 3. Abraham believed God by faith. It was credited to him as righteousness, but that scripture is fulfilled. He actually sees faith. It's working out because he's obeying God, not so he can be saved, but it's a demonstration of the authenticity of his faith. And gee, it's lovely, you know, when you see people become Christians and you see them transform their life. I hope that occasionally you look in the mirror and, and you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, I am so different now than I was a year ago by the Spirit of God. You know, a year ago I used to think like this and behave like this and do these. I don't even want to do those things anymore because I have put off those sins and I'm walking with Christ all the more and there's still 9,000 other problems. But I'm, I'm, I'm better than I was before and the Spirit of God is working in me. I hope you do give thanks to God that his Spirit is working in you and transforming you and that's exactly what James is saying here and Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, and so... He believed God, it was credited to him as righteous, and he was called God's friend. So you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, if you just take that verse in isolation, it sounds like Paul is 
completely contradictory to James, but you put it in the context of the whole passage. And it's like, yeah, yeah. We're not just people who say stuff. We're people who trust Christ, are transformed by the Spirit, and who do stuff. Because that's honouring to God in the world. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's super Thanks helpful. for coming to my Bible study. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Um, if you had a question that wasn't answered tonight, please tune in to Sermon Extra. And I just want to say, um, really, there was uh, one other really helpful question, which was related to the comments that I made on motherhood and related to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, uh, that some of you might have seen. Uh, we, uh, like comment made last week, we will pick up that when we do our humanity series in the middle of the year. So uh, don't fret. There'll be an opportunity for all of those questions to be answered uh, that come out of that theme uh, and 1 Timothy 2 and other places in the middle of the year. So Got a bit of a cliffhanger. Got to keep coming excited. to church, guys. There's, there's your hook. <laughs>